This is the 88th episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. Let's get into it. A caravan is coming. Jesse Waters hates Palestinians and the return of Hunter Biden. At least 5,000 migrants are on the move in southern Mexico, making their way north in hopes of reaching the U.S. southern border. Members of the caravan say they left due to trouble getting humanitarian visas. This comes after a record-setting 260,000 migrants crossed the southern border in September alone. Look at that footage there. Wow. Here's the head of a caravan raving about how great a travel agent Joe Biden is. And word's gotten out. You can see caravans marching for miles and miles. I'm sorry, the Biden travel agency has raised expectations. But first, right now, uh, 5,000 migrants are heading towards the U.S., and the caravan leader is blaming President Biden, all while encounters hit a record high. Up next, a gigantic migrant caravan barreling towards the U.S., and its leader is calling out President Biden for failing to address it. Worse. So right now, the largest migrant caravan in over a year is marching right towards the United States. It is said to be up to 7,000 people strong. One of the organizers of the caravan is speaking out, and he says President Biden should have seen it coming. Let's check out what you have to say about immigration and a caravan. You're saying we don't see the whole Western Hemisphere coming up in caravans through Central America into Mexico, right into Texas? Right now, the largest migrant caravan in a year is heading for the United States as mayors across the country head to Washington today to meet with lawmakers. It comes as 7,000, a 7,000 person caravan, look at that, in Mexico, making its way up to our southern border. Did President Biden talk tough to these leaders and tell them they better do their fair share to stop the relentless caravans from overwhelming our border? Not a chance. I feel like I need like a prospector voice when I talk about this. Like, the caravans are coming. The caravans are coming. Caravan. Or like have a song, like a country song. Caravan. Exclamation point. Like gut filled exclamation point. Bam. If you're new to the podcast, I sometimes do goofy voices. Just brace yourself. I'm a Gen Xer with a dark sense of humor. There you go. So, um... Yeah, I, 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 the caravan thing is almost comical. And I just want to point something out. There's a couple things in that. Those were a bunch of clips. That was over a week. I just searched every transcript for the word caravan, put that together. Um, a couple of things I noticed is they say, they repeat this a lot. Right now, right now, the migrant caravan is coming. Right now, right now, right now. Like four or five people said that exact same phrase, which I'm sure they were reading right off a teleprompter. Very specific because it makes it immediate. And another thing that I noticed is that on Monday, it was 5,000 people in the uh, caravan. Midweek, it turned to 7,000 people in the caravan. No explanation. And then Jesse Waters finally at the end there says, the entire Western Hemisphere. So that must mean, if he's correct, the people from Canada are coming down through Central America into our southern border because they want to pay more for health insurance and give up that sweet, sweet maple syrup for our garbage nonsense called maple-flavored pancake syrup. That hideous stuff, which you like when you're a child and you don't know any better, and then you have the good stuff and you're like, what? This existed? This existed and I've been eating that? 
What? Okay. Just, I don't think Canadians are doing that. I don't think the entire Western Hemisphere is coming up through our southern border. I don't. I'm sorry, Jesse Waters. And again, that would be a very big caravan. Awfully long. Far more than 7,000 people. Anyway, so basically this week, uh, as they did with the Ukraine war, Fox has sort of dialed back. They started off huge at 87% of their coverage, dropped down to like 75% of their coverage, dropped down to like 50% of their coverage, and now they're lower than that. Um, they're finally starting to ease up. I get it's really difficult to watch Fox cover a war because wars are always horrible to uh, kind of take in. And then a propaganda network covering a war, they just take it to another level of hideousness. Um, and now it's turned into this grueling urban ground invasion. And it's just, I don't think it's as entertaining for Fox to show because it's depressing and awful. And briefly, before I get into the next clip, um, two things. What they were showing the first couple weeks, and I described it in the last podcast, was they, while they were talking about the war, they would show uh, on half the screen or a quarter of the screen, it would usually be a black and white image. It would be a building from an aerial, you know, from, from, from the top, from high up in the sky. And then you would just see a bomb hit it and the building would collapse and dust would come up. And they would just show building after building after building get hit and collapse, hit and collapse. And I was like, "What? this is awful. No, no sense that there were human beings in those buildings, none whatsoever. And then when they show Palestinians, it tends to be either as a group of men protesting, uh, either for one of the militant groups or in the West Bank or whatever. They show like all males protesting with flags, angry looks on their faces. Or they show males throwing rocks at IDF or police officers in the West Bank. So they'll show those two images. You will not see injured people, women, children, or any sort of aftermath of a building collapsed. Sometimes you will see that, but there won't be any human beings around. It'll be one of the war correspondents standing near an area or whatever. But there won't be, you won't see a lot of the human cost of this war on Fox News. It's just, they showed a lot, of course, of what happened in October 7th. They repeated those clips over and over again, many of which were actually created by the militants themselves. So Hamas goes in, does a million horrible acts, shoots the, their own video about it, posts it on social media, and Fox was more than happy to replay that ad nauseum. But as Palestinians are being killed, they don't show it at all. They just show angry men, and then they show their buildings collapsing and that's it. So it's it's not pleasant to watch and I'm, I'm very thankful that they've moved on to other topics. So this first clip is from Jesse Waters from The Five on Wednesday. He's made a number of statements about Arabs and Arab Americans and Palestinians that have just been downright awful. This he went to another level with it. It's really horrible. This clip was so bad, they showed clips of it, uh, parts of it on PBS. And I've seen it in other media companies when they're talking about dangerous rhetoric. I was more alarmed by part of what he said that other people in the media weren't as alarmed by, which is interesting. We'll get into it as they play the clip. Um, but the whole thing is horrible. The entire thing is horrible. And I broke it up a little bit because I did some research to sort of debunk some of what he's saying here. Um, so here we go. I want to say something about Arab Americans mm. and about the Muslim world. Oh, okay. I'm not going to hold your hand. 
Even though I should, Dana. <laughs> we, when I say we, I mean the West and Western technology have created the Middle East. We made them rich. We got that oil out of the ground. Our military protects all of these oil shipments flying around the world, making them rich. So there's a lot that's already inaccurate about what he said. So for starters, the United States has been the largest single producer of crude oil in the world since 2018. Hydraulic fracking technology, which goes back as far as the 1860s, but was perfected in the late 1990s, revitalized U.S. gas and oil production. The U.S. military sometimes guards commercial ships traveling through the Strait of Hormuz in the Persian Gulf amid alleged attempts by Iran to hijack oil tankers in international waters. Most oil is transported throughout the globe without U.S. military protection. So that is just, I don't know what he's talking about. That's just not true. There's also pipelines where, you know, there's no ship whatsoever. Here's the next section of his comment. We fund their military. We respect their kings. We kill their terrorists. Okay? But we've had it. We've had it with them. Obama, Trump, now Biden have tried to get the heck out of that stupid desert. Just as we're about to get out, because we have this great balance of power we're arranging, these crazy Muslim fanatics come in and massacre over a thousand of our allies and hold Jewish people hostage, hold Americans hostage. So I'm not kidding. I could spend several podcasts breaking down just that section of what he said, because he leaves out a lot of the history of Israel and the Middle East in general, and he's massively oversimplifying. So I'm just going to talk about one incident. So as much as the U.S. has benefited from the plentiful oil reserves in the Middle East, we've also caused a great deal of political upheaval and instability to the region. Now, um, U.S. oil companies did help get the oil out of the ground in the Middle East. I was looking into this, researching it around the time after World War II, and um, of course they profited greatly. So it's, you know, it's kind of like you can't say, oh, you're taking advantage of us while we're profiting off of it, because we did profit off of it. At least American companies did. So in 1953, the United States and the U.K. working together helped remove a freely elected prime minister from Iran named Mohammad Mozadik after he attempted to nationalize Britain-owned Anglo-Persian oil company. My apologies if I'm pronouncing anything wrong. So he was replaced with the corrupt but Western-friendly monarch Shah Mohammad Reza. In 1979, the Shah was replaced by the Grand Atollah Khomeini, a Shiite cleric, during the Iranian Revolution, plunging the country into a brutal theocratic rule, which it lives today still. Now, that was the United States government and the UK government trying to prevent the nationalization of oil reserves in a country because we thought that the prime minister was going to go too far left. He might go communist, basically. So we helped take him out, replaced him with a monarch, I mean, how un-American is that? And it didn't go so well. And they eventually got rid of the monarch. And now look what we've got. Look what we sort of accidentally created. Now, of course, devil's advocate, there's no way of knowing what would have happened had we not done that. Had we not worked with the UK and 
toss that prime minister from power and replace him with the Shah. There's no way of knowing. Iran might have gone in this religious, you know, zealotry kind of direction anyway, in the theocracy anyway. Who knows? Not our finest hour. Not the best decision to do that. So I just wanted to point that out because Jesse Waters is acting like it's just them being horrible. We've made mistakes too, a lot of them, especially in the Middle East. So here's the rest of his statement. And so if you're an Arab American in this country and you rip down posters of Jewish hostages, of American hostages, no, (laughs) no, no, no. Someone is going to get punched in the face. When you rip down posters of hostages like that, this is absolutely not. And the New York Times, the second sentence, Greg, that I thought was even worse, whose suffering should command public attention and sympathy? So what they've done is they've now made suffering a commodity. Mm -hmm. They'll put a price tag on emotional suffering. You know, is is it the Jews? Uh, Is it black teens, the Native Americans, the Palestinians? You know, who's suffered the most? And he who's suffered the most is allowed, as you say, a free punch. Mm -hmm. And so now they've justified violence to avenge suffering. And so now people are above the law, people are below the law, and that's making everybody crazy because we can't live in a country like that. Mm -hmm. And and I won't live in a country like that. Now, here's the section that I picked up on that seemingly like nobody else in the media did. And it's kind of weird that that happened. But I was like, no one else is saying this? Okay, I guess not. This is the line. Jesse Waters. Someone is going to get punched in the face when you rip down posters of hostages like that. So for all of his protesting about the use of violence and I'm more oppressed than you're more oppressed. And so therefore I get to hurt you. He just did it. He just said someone's going to get punched in the face when you rip down posters of hostages like that. He didn't directly say go punch somebody in the face, but he kind of did. We don't need to be doing that. I'm not a fan of people ripping down posters. My thing is, you don't like a poster, make your own poster, stick it next to that poster. I have no problem with that. I understand why that is very hurtful to rip down a poster of a hostage victim, especially when there's people running around saying that, October 7th didn't even happen. I totally understand, especially a Jewish person being upset that somebody would do that because there's people who say the Holocaust didn't happen. So I get it, but let's not punch anybody in the face. Nobody needs to be punching anybody in the face. Um, oh my goodness. So this is an interesting uh, clip. Uh, this next one was Fox News. I, 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 I avoid using the term lie. So I'm going to use the term deceive misled um but you can hear it in the clip i'm going to give the dates away so you'll understand what i'm talking about this is from thursday and i kind of cut it up and then i play a clip from monday from the pbs news biden facing criticism for focusing on islamophobia despite a despicable wave of anti-semitism in america then with all of that in mind the administration is rolling out a national strategy to counter hate toward muslims Vice President Kamala Harris making this announcement on social media. As a result of the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, we have seen an uptick in anti-Palestinian, anti-Arab, anti-Semitic, and Islamophobic incidents across America. This strategy will be a comprehensive and detailed plan to protect Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim from hate, bigotry, and violence. 
The White House, when asked about the focus on Islamophobia in the wake of the worst massacre of Jewish people since the Holocaust, they seem to imply that they've got a handle on anti-Semitism. So there were other clips that I could have used, but I don't have that much time um, just to focus on this. So those were on Thursday. And then on Monday, because I remembered this because I had already seen it on the PBS NewsHour, I remembered a segment about anti-Semitism and the White House. And that's because on Monday, uh, President Biden and his administration announced a program to help combat anti-Semitism on college campuses. Now, months prior to this, the administration had also announced a separate program to combat anti-Semitism in general because they know it's a problem. So to say to act as if they were only addressing Muslim Americans and Islamophobia is just disingenuous and incredibly misleading. So here's the clip from PBS. And here in the U.S., fears are also rising among Jewish Americans as reports of anti-Semitic incidents have increased since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. In response, the White House is unveiling new plans to combat anti-Semitic attacks at schools and college campuses. So the White House has unveiled a new plan today. They say we'll combat this rise in anti-Semitic incidents we're seeing. What does the plan entail? So a White House official said today that uh, this is in response to, quote, alarming rise of anti-Semitic incidents across campuses. And so what this action does is it directs the Justice Department and the DHS uh, to partner with campus law enforcement to work with them, help them help track hate-related rhetoric across campuses. DHS, uh, Homeland Security, cybersecurity experts specifically will be helping schools monitor an increase of not just the rhetoric, but also potential threats. And then administration officials are meeting with Jewish American groups today and Jewish students later this week. Now, we should note, Amna, that these tools can also be used for other hate rhetoric that we're seeing, including against Arabs and Muslims on campuses. So the voices you just heard there were Amya Navas, who's a co-anchor of the NewsHour, and then their White House correspondent, a woman named Laura Barone Lopez. They're both lovely. They did a great job there. And again, Fox had to have known that the White House, you know, came out with this program on Monday because they would have issued a press release and all major outlets would have gotten it. So why they just chose to just not tell their audience instead tap into this whole idea of that somehow like Jews were being ignored and only Muslims were getting special treatment when in fact that was not the case. And again, there was a program months ago about anti-Semitism that covered all of anti-Semitism across the country that was issued by the White House because it's been a problem and it's getting worse and worse. So the next one is also a little dire, a little depressing but unfortunately, when we're talking about a war in Israel, it's going to be that. Um, this is Jessica Tarloff. I wanted to include it because it got incredible feedback on Twitter. And I'm not sure. I couldn't. I did see a source that verified the story about the baby in the oven, but I'm not sure of, of its veracity. So I'm not going to vouch for her words in this, but she does speak of a story she believes uh, was true. I, I don't know if it is or not. I'm just going to say that. Those are, these are her words, not mine. Um, but plenty of atrocities that have been 100% verified from October 7th are well known. And so I'm just going to leave it at that. But this is Jessica Tarloff talking about anti-Semitism. And again, Je Jessica Tarloff is a Jewish woman herself. That maybe a silver lining in this is that most Holocaust survivors are not alive to see what's going on today. It's 
horrifying on every level. This is rehashing what went on in the 30s, heading into the Holocaust, obviously. There were reports this weekend now that Hamas has started openly bragging, by the way, about their crimes, because that was one of the currents of all of this, that it wasn't real, right? People who were denying what they had done on October 7th. And it's hard, I think, to have a, a winning piece of the terror attack in terms of this is the most horrific thing I've ever heard. But now there's a report that um, a husband, he was murdered, then his wife was raped, and they baked their baby in the oven and kept the woman alive so that she could hear the screams of her child melting. And uh. a signature of the Holocaust is obviously that they put Jews in the oven. So here we are. Now that language is deserved, that we're talking about it, what happened in the Russian airport, reminiscent of the pogroms, we're heading back in a very, very dangerous direction. It's heartbreaking between Cornell, kids uh, locked in the kosher dining hall, Cooper Union, Jewish kids locked in the library, faculties clearly not up to the task in terms of being able to deal with this. So I wanted to play that because I think it's very important about why we need to be careful about language and why statements like what Jesse Waters said is are so terrible and so awful because you're feeding into this hatred. He may not see it that way, but he's feeding into this hatred, even though his hatred was directed towards Muslims. You're feeding into this hatred. So far, the six-year-old boy was killed, you know, outside of Chicago. And there was a man today that I read about in two sources who apparently walked up to um, a pro-Palestinian protest in Los Angeles. He was Jewish. He was 65 years old. He had words with somebody at the protest. The other person hit him in the face with a megaphone. He happened to fall back in the worst way possible, hit his head in such a way that he died. People at the rally rushed to him to try to save him. They couldn't do anything. He died in the hospital. Completely senseless act. I'm sure it was not intentional. But again, nobody should be hitting anybody in the face over something they said. Nobody should be punching somebody because they took down a poster. We shouldn't be calling entire groups of people any sort of, um, you know, blanket statement like these people or those people. I'm sick of those people. I'm sick of those people. Stop it. We're human beings. This conflict is awful. I don't like reporting about it. I don't like listening about it. I don't like seeing Fox report on it. It breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart. I'm supposed to report on propaganda on Fox News. That's my job. Not give you my personal beliefs uh, as a pundit on what's going on in this hideous, hideous war. And I know everybody's emotions are very high right now. Um, like, I've gotten people angry at me over stuff that I, I mean, like, I can't, I won't even repeat some of the crazy stuff that I've gotten, I've dealt with when I just post, like, I posted something today that was like, there's zero commentary on it, which is like, this is what happened in the clip. And some guy came at me hot over that. And I literally said, there's nothing in the tweet that's commentary. It's, <laughs> I'm just describing what he said, like, back off, buddy. Like, you know, or somebody came at me because I used the term, I'm not kidding. I won't say what this person said, but somebody came at me because I used the term, Israel Hamas war that they weren't happy about that they wanted me to call it something else and I just muted the person and kept moving so this next one is anybody who's thinking well I don't, I don't want to vote for Biden I don't like Biden because Trump will be so you know maybe Trump won't win <laughs> and I don't want to vote for I'm mad at Biden right now so I'm not going to vote for Biden 
play them this clip. This is Tom Homan, the acting ICE director during the Trump administration. Now, Tom Homan was the mastermind behind the horrific family separation policy. Under the zero-tolerance immigration policy, children were taken from their parents at the southern border as a means of deterring others from attempting to illegally enter the United States. Trump's senior advisor, Stephen Miller, was a champion of the program, but Homan is the man who came up with it. So Fox News has this guy on as a guest all the time. They never mention the fact that he came up with this, uh, this program. I found this out on PBS. So while a guest on Fox and Friends, Homan made it clear what he would do in the second Trump presidential term. So again, if anybody's like, you know what? I don't know. I hate Biden. I'm so mad at Biden right now. Remind them this is where we might end up. Here we go. This is historic. And they can't tell you how many Hamas and Hezbollah or Islamic jihads are also coming across our border. Wait till things start blowing up. Tom, if Trump wins and goes back to the White House, would you go back? I promised President Trump when he announced that he goes back, I go back, and I'm going to run the biggest deportation operation this country's ever seen. Because these millions of people being released in this country, nine out of ten will get an order removal based on immigration court data. A judge orders them removed, we're going to find them and we're going to remove them. There's no consequence. We can't fix the border. We're going to have we're going to have a consequence in the Trump administration. Holman goes back with Trump. That's another campaign ad. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, have a great weekend. So I feel like I should give a word out to my sponsors since about halfway through, a little bit more than halfway through the podcast. Who is my sponsor, you may ask? I had somebody come at me today who basically said something to the effect of, because I'm telling you, this war brings out the worst in humanity in so many ways. But somebody came at me today basically like, who's your employer? And I'm like, well, sir, my employer are hundreds of people who give me $5 a month. What is that? That's called subscriber-based. And then somebody else said, well, you're just begging for money. And I said, begging for money is called begging for money. This is called my paid subscribers get exclusive con uh, content. They just got one the other day. I gave it to them, and I gave it to them again. How do you become a uh, paid subscriber? Well, you can go to my Substack channel, and you can sign up for $5 a month. Or you could become one of my Patreon supporters. They also get exclusive co uh, content. Why am I speaking like this? Why not? I said weird voices come out of me and I can't control them. What is this voice? I have no idea. It's my mid-Atlantic sort of weirdo from the 40s. But this person, let me tell you, if you want to become a paid subscriber, you are what's keeping decoding Fox News alive. You and you alone. I have no large sponsor. I have no grant. I have no commercials. This is my commercial. Me talking like a weirdo, asking you to sign up to become a paid subscriber. That's it. That's it. So yeah, I'm the true, the real deal. I'm community-based. I only exist because a few hundred people decided that I should exist. That's it. And I would love it if you could do it. And if you can't, just share the podcast, share the newsletter, tell your friends. That's it. That's my commercial. Next up, we have a very eccentric character. It's going to lighten up a little bit. It's been kind of depressing. This war is depressing. Um, Batya Ungar Sargon, who a friend of mine, <laughs> this is a while back, goes, this, there's this woman. Has she been on Fox yet? Have you seen her yet? She's kind of out there. And I was like, yeah, I have. Just a couple times. She does seem strange. She went right off the cliff, right off the cliff for these next two clips. Uh, she's talking about Hunter Biden 
and addiction. This is from Jesse Waters Primetime that was hosted by Rachel Campos Duffy. Here we go. Batya, what's your take on this? I really urge all of your viewers to read this op-ed. Um, it is yeah, just so absolutely appalling. The self-pity, the self-aggrandizement, the gaslighting, accusing Fox News of talking about his addiction when all you have to do is turn on Fox News to see that they covered the corruption. Okay, when she said that, she said that Fox News does not make fun of, she's talking about Hunter Biden, make fun of Hunter Biden's addiction. I, I, that was like a record scratch moment. I was like, I'm sorry, what? I, 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 hello, I'm sorry, what are you saying? What are you saying? So I took uh, my hard drives, my archives, and I said, let's, let's find some examples. I just did a search for one word. This took about an hour because I had to go through a bunch of transcripts. Took about an hour because I didn't clip these um, because I didn't think I'd ever need them. But I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do this. What are you talking about? Here's the word. You can probably guess the word that I searched for. Is this a crackhead making up that his dad's here? If this was an illusion, then that's some crackhead magic. The Bidens were in business with billionaires. You think these are the kind of guys who'd get tricked by a crackhead? One of the sometime residents of the White House is, well, at least a former crackhead. Hunt I'm not interested in a crackhead lying on a gun charge. The DOJ is taking what are extraordinary measures to shield the president and his crackhead son. But they would rather talk about uh, Hunter Biden, the crackhead. Remember, the White House had promised that Hunter's paint-by-numbers portraits of a crackhead. Good morning, America, a crackhead at the time. She was having sex after her husband died with Hunter Biden and up the roll horse at this point. Chinese energy company paid Hunter Biden, a crackhead. They were Biden was a, a crackhead. No one on earth would hire Hunter Biden. Because Hunter Biden was a narcissist, an exhibitionist, um, and a self-entitled princeling. So that was Rachel Campos Duffy calling Hunter Biden a self-entitled princeling. Now, where did she get that term, princeling? Well, again, if you're a paid subscriber, you'd know <laughs> because I went through um, all of the series on Fox Nation. I haven't done the fourth one yet because it's a doozy. I'm still researching it. Called Who is Hunter Biden? Part one through three. And each one, like part one has like four episodes. Part two has like four or five episodes. Part three has like this, this epic and one of the episodes is called The Princeling. And who narrates these, do you ask? Well, that would be my other favorite character that I impersonate on this podcast. And if I don't do her, I'm going to get a note. Someone's going to say, hey, Juliet, why didn't you do our favorite? And here's the favorite very briefly. I'm Judge Janine. Listen, I'm, 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 people think I'm short, but I'm not. I'm just petite. I just have a small frame. I probably wear a wig. I probably. Come on, I'm 71 years old and it's like dark, dark brown and you never see roots. And it doesn't move. I don't care. It's probably like a $5,000 wig. And I talk about York peppermint patties and my dog. And I narrate the who is Hunter Biden. And one of the things I call him is a princeling. Because he is. I still have my bazillion dollar idea that no one has stolen from me yet. Although who knows? Maybe it's in the works. Maybe somebody's on Shark Tank right now hawking this idea of instead of having just a just a generic alarm clock that just goes and eh, 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 wake you up. They should make one with the voices of Fox News commentators. So you'd have Mark Levin, 
you'd have Judge Janine, like the loudest of the loud, and they would just be like, I'm Judge Janine! Get up! Wake up! It's time to wake up, you loser! Here's the thing! And, you know, I mean, why not? I think it would work. And Mark Levine would just be like, You're a communist! You, you, you're Marxist! You're Stalinist! You're communist! You're gonna... That's it! I'm done! You know, why not? Because Sean Hannity wouldn't wake you up. Sean Hannity puts me to sleep. I'm watching him this week, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Wake up. Stay awake for Sean. Because he, he's, he's very monotone. Very monotone. Okay, so here's the second half of that same clip. And this woman still, Sar, Ungar Sargon is her last name, goes to, to, I don't know what she's talking about. Here you go. I want to make one point. He says again and again that in attacking him as an addict, you're attacking the rest of Americans. We know that we have this problem in America, 20 million Americans who have a substance abuse problem. And I found that so disgusting because the people who are suffering from addiction in this country, the people who are dying deaths of despair from addiction and alcoholism and suicide are Americans without a college degree who have a life expectancy that is 10 years less than if you have a college degree and for this son of privilege to stand there and steal the valor and the suffering of these people who his own father was part of the administration the obama administration that sold out the futures of americans without yes. a college degree it is really truly truly appalling so uh, you know I, I was confused when i first saw this i was like what is she talking about so i, I looked it up and there is a, a discrepancy a difference with college degree, non-college degree, and life expectancy. It, it was about eight and a half years. Uh, depending on which source, it, it stretched as much as 10. Uh, that had to do with the pandemic. It got worse during the pandemic. Now, she's assuming that like, one factor and one factor alone is what causes people to die younger, and that would be having a college degree or not having a college degree. N of course, that's not true. There's a, there's a bunch. So I'm just going to quote... Uh, paper I found by the Harvard Medical School, Why Life Expectancy in the U.S. is Falling. Um, and here's the quote. It's notable, for example, that some of the states with the lowest life expectancies are also the ones with the most uninsured residents and yet have turned down Medicaid expansion. So it's not rocket science. It's uh, proximity. It's where you live. PBS has actually done a very long study on this about... Um, People in rural areas are lacking certain types of care. Like if you need a specialist, you're not going to get one in the middle of nowhere. You have to go to a big city or you have to cross state lines, which can cause all kinds of problems. So if you need um, a respiratory specialist or heart specialist, uh, if you live in a rural area, you're just not going to find one. So that's part of the problem. And then a lot of places don't have hospitals anymore or the rural hospitals have shut down. So it's access to care and getting health insurance is the number one Thing that can cause you to live or die younger than you would normally. There's actually a map, and the South is not doing well for life expectancy. So that's it. It's not, it's not the college degree. People with college degrees are more likely to make more money, and they're more likely to live in a metropolitan area where they can get to a hospital. So there's a lot more to this than just simply the college degree. But I did find her enthusiasm a little entertaining because I was like, well, is she okay? I was the whole time she's screaming and I'm just, I was like, wow, wow. She's wow. She's okay. So next one, this is a lighthearted one.
when I watched this, I literally stopped my computer and just screamed, you were so stupid. You were so stupid. You are so stupid. And I don't feel, I just, ah, this man is nothing. I'm giving you a hint. But confidence, a well-made suit, some eyebrows, and a good head of hair. That's it. That's all he is. That's all he is. There's nothing more going on there. Nothing. That's it. He's the personification of a mediocre white male who got to where he is just on that. Just on that. It's Jesse Waters. Here we go. Here, American homeowners wage a months-long war against Mother Nature. It's leaf season, the worst season of all. Every Saturday, you give up your whole afternoon to rake your lawn. Then three days go by and your yard's covered again with leaves. Rinse and repeat. The only saving grace in all of this is that using a leaf blower is kind of fun and faster. It's loud, it's powerful, and you just blow the leaves into a big pile that your kids jump into. Most importantly, it's effective. If you didn't have a leaf blower, the job takes forever, and trust me, I used to not have a leaf blower my whole life. And if Democrats will get their way, and they will, your gas-powered leaf blowers, sayonara. Why? Climate change, obviously. A new study from three lefty nonprofits says this. Running one gas-powered leaf blower for one hour is just as bad as driving a car from Philly to Florida. Not sure I believe that, but okay. Oh, also, the study says leaf blowers give your kids asthma. Oh, and also the study says the leaf blowers make your children deaf. So, what will save the children? Going electric, obviously. Buy an electric leaf blower or else. Primetime skeptical. We have a feeling that the people who funded the study don't really care about asthma or deaf kids. They just want to ban your regular leaf blower, so you have to buy an expensive electric leaf blower from them. Funny how that works. Now, was that a joke segment? I don't think it was. I really don't. Now, because I don't think he's got that in him to... No, I don't. Having watched this man for so long, no. This is... I think he wrote it, too. I think he wrote it. Maybe one of his interns cleaned it up. But this is the sentence that just made me go, I think he wrote it. Here's the sentence. And trust me, I used to not have a leaf blower my whole life. That's amazing grammar. And trust me, I used to not have a leaf blower my whole life. And trust me, I used to have not have a leaf blower my whole life. It's like, oh my goodness. Wow. 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 Okay, so Jesse Waters, uh, yeah, I looked this up. I looked up the study that he was freaking out about. It was published in February. It was on the regulatory review. It was a brief one page. <laughs> it's not really a study. It was a paper document that broke down everything Waters mentioned in the segment with more detail. So there's no evidence that the government of a government mandate or regulation that would limit the use of gas-powered leaf blowers or make them unavailable to consumers. Let me repeat that. There's no evidence of a government mandate or regulation that would limit the use of gas-powered leaf blowers or make them unavailable to consumers. I also checked out some basic pricing of gas-powered and electric leaf blowers. 
On the website for Home Depot, the top selling, just said top seller, first one that came up, gas-powered leaf blower was selling for $379. The top selling electric leaf blower went for $129 and was much smaller. And the general consensus that I got on Twitter is that gas-powered leaf blowers are more difficult to maintain, take more effort to keep going because you're dealing with like an engine like you would on like a gas-powered you know, any type of device, like a gas-powered lawnmower or whatever. And they just, they're going to take more effort because those engines, you have fuel going through them, you need oil, and have to, like, maintain it. Whereas a electric-powered one, you just have to worry about the batteries or the cord. The battery ones work better. That's what everybody said on Twitter. I don't know. I live in an apartment in Brooklyn that's the size of a one-car garage. So if anyone li- thinks I'm living high on the hog on this media project, I am not. I am not. Um, very humble. Very humble here over in Brooklyn. So I just want to say this one thing about Jesse Waters before we move on to the next segment. Um, I say this with sincerity. I think if I placed a can opener in front of him and said, what is that? He wouldn't know. I mean this. Or at least he'd hand it to someone else and say, can you open a can for me? Because I think it's too difficult. I said it. I mean it. I, I, I meant it. If you don't believe me, go to threads. Go to Twitter. Read the comments under anything I post about him. Whoo. Yikes. Ha. I don't even. I, he has a college degree. I have no idea how. No idea how that happened. Next section is stories. Fox News ignored every week. I compare the hours I've watched on Fox to five hours of the PBS NewsHour. The following are stories. The PBS covered that Fox News did not. Climate disasters. An extreme record-setting storm hit the UK, France, and Italy, causing extreme flooding, property damage, and the death of at least 12 people. India's capital, New Delhi, was wrapped in a thick layer of toxic haze. The pollution was caused by the burning of crop stubble and industrial emissions, vehicles, exhaust fumes, and dust from construction sites. In Joliet, Illinois, Joseph Zuba, 71, the landlord who's accused of fatally stabbing a six-year-old Muslim boy was, and severely injuring his mother in a suspected hate crime, pleaded not guilty to eight charges. He faces life in prison if convicted. He will remain held without bond. Trump Jr. and Eric Trump both testified in their civil fraud case involving the Trump Organization in New York State. FIFA banned ousted former Spanish Soccer Federation President Luis Rubales from the sport for three years for misconduct after he forcibly kissed a player at the Women's World Cup final. The FDA issued a warning over high levels of lead in Wanabana fruit apple cinnamon fruit puree pouches. The product is part of a voluntary recall by the company. The U.S. faces a shortage of medications used to treat ADHD. The drugs include Adderall, long and short-acting versions of Ritalin and Concertia, as well as Focalin, Vivanese, and numerous generic equivalents of these drugs. Jack Lew was confirmed by the Senate as the new U.S. ambassador for Israel. Last Tuesday, the Michigan Attorney General said that the state prosecution of former Governor Rick Snyder and other officials for the role in the Flint water scandal has stopped. 
Hundreds of thousands of Afghan refugees continue to flee Pakistan as the government cracks down on undocumented immigrants. As the residents cross the border into Afghanistan, they have no water, food, or shelter, as the country is already in desperate need of humanitarian aid. According to a report by the UN, a record 6.9 million people have been displaced due to the long-term internal conflict in Congo. Some public colleges are cutting academic programs and jobs. In some cases, schools are eliminating entire majors. PBS focused on West Virginia University, which has cut 32 majors along with 169 faculty members. A new federal civil rights lawsuit filed by the advocacy group Pregnancy Justice alleges an Alabama jail is mistreating pregnant detainees, putting unborn children at risk. The infant mortality rate spiked 3% last year, the largest increase in two decades. The four states with the greatest increases were Georgia, Iowa, Missouri, and Texas. Desmond Mills Jr., a Memphis police officer, pleaded guilty to using excessive force in Tyree Nichols' death. Mills is one of five black former officers who've been charged in the case and the first to plead guilty. Caribbean nations that were once British colonies are asking King Charles to pay for slavery reparations from his $2 billion personal fortune. Toyota will raise wages for non-union workers. The move is seen as a way to stay competitive with the big three automakers who recently reached tentative deals with their union to boost pay. Russia pummeled Ukraine with its biggest drone strike in weeks with 40 kamikaze drones and a cruise missile. Ukraine said it shot down more than half the drones and no casualties were reported. The U.S. Department of State is issuing nearly 100 new sanctions targeting Russia's future energy production and revenue, metals and mining sector, defense procurement, and those involved in supporting the Russian government's war effort. Representative Ken Buck of Colorado announced that he won't be seeking re-election. He said the reason he was retiring was his disillusionment in his own party for promoting lies about the 2020 election and downplaying the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Representative Kay Granger, also Republican of Texas, also said she would not seek re-election after nearly three decades in Congress. She's 80 years old. Representative George Santos of New York, also Republican, survived a vote to expel him from the House. Santos is facing a number of criminal charges and a House Ethics Committee investigation. Senator Tommy Tuberville, a Republican from Alabama, is starting to receive aggressive criticism from his fellow Republicans over his expansive hold on President Biden's military nominees. Tuberville has blocked hundreds of military promotions over his personal objections to the Pentagon's abortion policies. The Supreme Court will review a Trump-era ban on gun bump stocks, which allow semi-automatic rifles to fire more quickly. The court is also likely to rule against a man who wants to trademark the phrase Trump too small. The Federal Reserve decided not to raise interest rates as it continues to track inflation and the health of the economy. Abortion will be on the ballot in Ohio and Virginia. In Ohio, Democrats are promoting a referendum that would enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution. Virginia voters are set to decide the makeup of the state legislature, while the Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, is pushing for a ban on abortions after 15 weeks. PBS produced an extended segment about Daniel L. Doctora, an American businessman and former government official for the city of New York, who is struggling to live day-to-day with ALS. 
Doctoroff has started Target ALS, a transformative biomedical research nonprofit, in 2013 to accelerate discovery of effective treatments for ALS. The popular wildlife television series, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, will return to NBC on Saturday mornings. And those are all the stories. Those were a lot of them. So yeah, Fox was just, you know, talking about the same three things. That's what they do. So by the numbers, I go through the top five topics of Fox News and PBS and compare the two. So for Fox, top top topic was Israel-Hamas war, 28%. So big drop from last week. A Biden bashing, 7%. Border crisis, 6%. Hunter Biden, 5%. And Matthew Perry's death at 4%. So for the PBS NewsHour, we had a tie for the last two, exact number ties. So I had to conclude both top six topics. We go Israel-Hamas war, 31%. Anti-Semitism rising in the U.S., 5%. Living with ALS, that segment was 4%. ADHD drugs shortages, 4%. Public college cut majors, 4%, and Caribbean nations seek slavery reparations from King Charles, also 4%. Those, again, were exact match. So words used on Fox uh, last week were Israel dropped all the way down to 387. That was as high as 1,100 just a couple weeks ago. Biden, 339. Hamas, 223. Border, 132. China, Chinese, 129. That spiked dramatically. Jew or Jewish, 120. Trump, 83. That's very low for him. Iran, 70. Muslim and or Islam for 68. Crime, 63. Terrorist, 55. Hunter, 49. Migrant, 32. Hezbollah, 32. Caravan, 17. Inflation, 15. Militant, 9. AOC, Three, and that's Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They always talk about her no matter what. Um, I think it's always interesting that inflation is always very, very low, and yet they act like it's the number one topic, which obviously it isn't. They don't really care. So that's it. That's the newsletter podcast for the week. I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. Started off kind of depressing, but then it kind of got funny when we made fun of Jesse Waters. So that's what I like to do. I like to give you a little bit of goofiness with the podcast as much as I can without being inappropriate. Maybe I'm inappropriate. I don't know. I'm exhausted. I'm very, very tired. Um, the cats, Odin and Thor, send their love. If you'd like to become a sponsor for Decoding Fox News, you can go to my Substack for Decoding Fox News. You can go to my Patreon for Decoding Fox News. And I will see you at the next podcast. Thank you so much. Hey.